Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Sean McAuliffe about empowering your managers to successfully scale your business. Sean McAuliffe, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, John, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited for our conversation today. We're going to be focusing on empowering your people, uh, specifically empowering managers, and specifically within the context of scaling your business. And it's a common problem. I, I was just doing some work with a company uh, just the other day uh, where I was consulting with them and doing a little bit of, of executive leadership training. And uh, this was their problem, this exact issue. They're rapidly scaling. They simply don't, the the senior management team simply doesn't have the bandwidth anymore, right? And so the only possible way that they can scale successfully is to really grow the the leaders within the organization and create a, a stronger bench. And the only way to do that is through empowering your people. So this is gonna be a fun conversation. I'm super excited to hear your insights and uh, as, as we go through this together, before that, I just want to share Sean's bio with everybody. Sean McAuliffe is the founder of Hui.io. Hui is an interactive org chart tool that integrates with Slack. Sean was inspired to create Hui after going through successful and successive mergers with his last company, International Key Supply. Although Sean started International Key Supply from his basement apartment, he was able to bootstrap it to 10-figure revenue and over 40 employees. Eventually, International Key Supply merged with several other companies and private equity-backed deals. All of a sudden, there were over 200 employees in the company, and Sean and his team kept finding themselves asking, who do I need to speak with to get X done, and how do I get a hold of them? This is why he built Hui. Hui is built to empower every employee in an organization to find the colleagues they need quickly and efficiently through its Slack integration. When he's not working, you can find Sean spending time with his wife and three daughters or driving race cars somewhere. That is so fun. Uh, I have to admit the race car thing kind of freaks me out a little bit, but I'm glad glad that's something you enjoy. Uh, Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, I'm not an HR expert. I didn't go to business school. This was all things that I just figured out along the way uh, through trial and error, or, you know, another way to put it would be failures and successes, right? So these are just kind of lessons that I've learned um, building a, a pretty successful business from the ground up. Yeah, awesome. The school of hard knocks is the best school there is, isn't there? Isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, it could be, uh, it could be stressful, but it's also extremely rewarding and, uh, you know, on the job training, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, that's incredible. And, and yeah, I I've seen the same thing. I've seen uh, small uh, entrepreneurial companies 
that all of a sudden, because of a merger or an acquisition or new investors, all of a sudden they're in hyper growth mode. And, you know, they go from 10 employees or 50 employees. Now they have hundreds or thousands of employees. And it's an incredibly challenging thing. So the tool that you guys provide at Hui, that sounds pretty neat. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about that? And then we can get more into uh, how we go about empowering our managers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the, you know, I'm a pretty tech savvy guy. When I had my business, I was always looking for the newest tech to multiply, you know, the capabilities of our team, right? Just, just like a force multiplier tech tools, right? Whether it's for sales or marketing or whatever it is, like what can multiply our, our, our input to greater than what we can do in a day. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, you know, having gone through those mergers um, and having scaled the team, um, it became apparent uh, in high growth. And, you know, when you're going through mergers and all these things that it's difficult to keep tabs on who does what and how do you get a hold of them and where are they, especially, you know, now and some people are remote and hybrid and all that. So going through this, I was really inspired to, uh, to create this tool. And, and what I wanted it to do was to be something that employees can really use. Because if you think of org charts, a lot of times they're really just used for like a, a report, a quarterly report or a town hall meeting, or I need this thing by tomorrow for a board meeting, whatever it is. Um, for managers and not necessarily for employees. Um, so I wanted to build something that the employees could benefit from as well as managers. Uh, and for that to happen, you know, in my mind, it needs to be where they work every day. And that's these days is in Teams or Slack. You know, our tool currently works just with Slack, but um, that's where employees are spending their day is looking at Slack a lot of the time now. So if it's not there, they're not likely to use it. So that was the idea was get it to work where they work, which is within Slack. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. And I've had the same challenges, you know, as I've been employed in large organizations, both people trying to figure out if I'm the right person to talk to and me trying to figure out other people. And then, of course, you have turnover and you have new people coming on and you have onboarding and all that. And it becomes increasingly complicated and difficult just to know how to navigate, right? It's not even about doing the work. It's just like navigating the organization. <laughs> And I'm all about like uh, efficiency. So when it would take me 20 minutes to track someone down to get a check cut, like I, uh, it was just making me insane, you know? Um, so we built this feature in where, you know, not only can you have the person's, you know, name, title, contact information, but also key, uh, skill keywords. So you can say 401k, you know, benefits, payroll, accounts payable. And that's all searchable within Slack and within the org chart software. So if you go like, oh, I need to talk to someone about my 401k, you just do slash who does 401k in Slack and it pings the org chart, pulls up the person you need to talk to. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, tools like this that allow for greater openness, transparency, communication and efficiency, then that's that's one of many ways you can go about trying to empower people. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about that uh, and describe perhaps from your experience the challenges you faced as you were you know, you, you now have an investor, you're, you're doing mergers. Now you have all these people. What kind of challenges did you face in terms of just leveraging the potential of other people around you and recognizing the bandwidth of your executive team just being limited? Yeah. And I would say this actually started for me before that um, investor and the private equity deal happened because, um, you know, I had started the business uh, 2010, 2011, uh, by myself in my apartment and you know it started growing pretty quickly and two three years in we hit kind of a a point where it really started to scale what I thought was pretty quickly 
but at the same time, I was getting burnt out. I was exhausted. I was pulling, you know, 14, 16 hour days sitting in front of the computer. I was making every minor, you know, medium to major decision. Um, and at the same time, I was kind of evaluating the product that I was selling because I hadn't really thought of it in a really long-term way. I was really just thinking, what's the next thing I have to do to keep growing and not fail, right? I always had, had that thought of like, most businesses fail. I need to not be one of those, right? And I did some math on the product we were, we were selling, which was remotes for cars. Kilo Century Remotes was our big thing. And I did some math of how many cars are there, how often are they lost? And I came up with this number that was huge compared to what I had already sold. And then I realized I had an epiphany like, wow, we haven't even scratched the surface. So from there, I realized like, okay, I need to grow more and faster. But right now, everyone is tapped out in the company. Like, how can we do that? Um, I started listening to some books and, you know, reading more about um, leadership and, and things like that. And then in doing that, I realized that I was not empowering my team to make decisions. They were coming to me for every decision. They knew how to do their job. They knew what the decision probably would be, um, but they were coming to me to approve it. Um, and I only had so much time. Right. So things would, I was the bottleneck essentially for our, for our growth. Um, so, you know, over a lot of conscious effort, not always perfect. Um, I began letting go of the reins a little bit and trusting, you know, the people that I hired to do their job, to make the decisions that, um, are involved in, in their role. Uh, and through that, we really started to see even more growth, um, going up, uh, through these mergers that, that happened, uh, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a super common problem. Uh, and so it's, it's good that you recognized it. Uh, many leaders just do it out of ignorance and like, you don't really have a ton of background in leadership. You're just kind of starting a business all of a sudden now you have a ton of people and you're trying to figure out how to do it. Um, sometimes it's a matter of ego and insecurity and, and like just wanting control. It doesn't sound like that was your situation, but that does happen with a lot of people. Um, and regardless of what the reason is though, the outcome is still the same. The outcome is you end up being the bottleneck. And even when that's not your intention, and even when your intention is to lean on and rely on your people, if they know they have to come to you for every last decision, uh, or even if it's just for a rubber stamp on every last decision, the inevitable impact, in addition to the inefficiencies and the bottlenecking, is that your people are going to start being less invested in what they're doing, right? Because they just know it, eh, it ultimately doesn't really matter. I, you know, I, I do all the work. I, I decide what I think we should do, and then I go to the boss, and then he or she just says something different. So why even bother? I'm just going to go straight to the boss and not waste my time. And so that 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 dynamic happens all the time in organizations if we're not careful even the best leaders fall into that trap. And so it's good that you recognize that and you started to, to let loose the range. And that can be a really hard step, especially with your baby, you know, this organization that you've helped to grow. And now you're, you're having to trust people to, to really do their jobs, do them well, and, and not in some way, you know, get you off the rails. Yeah. I mean, I had to really make a conscious decision to accept that Things weren't going to get done the way I wanted to get them to get done, but the end result is hopefully the same, right? We have the goal, we have the finishing line, the finish line, but the path that leads us there is not going to be the path that I would have done, right? And I need to accept mm -hmm. that. Um, and, you know, it's not always easy because, you know, sometimes things kind of go off the rails a little bit, but um, that has to happen, right? People need to make mistakes 
Otherwise they can't grow. I mean, I made a million mistakes in my business, right? So for me not to allow them to make mistakes uh, wouldn't be fair or right, or and they wouldn't be able to grow themselves. And therefore I would still be the only one that can make the decision. So it's kind of like you get into a vicious cycle yeah. of uh, you know decision-making where you're the only one and you just, you can't grow past that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think about I'm a parent, you're a parent. Um, it's it's that way with our children as well. And on the one hand, from like a really altruistic standpoint, you know, I want to protect my kids, I want to help them find success, and be good at what they do. And I want them to feel good things and be positive and all of that. And so what that can easily result in, if I'm not careful, is that I end up being a helicopter parent, trying to like protect them from every last little thing. And, and that really can thwart their own personal growth and development. And it's the exact same thing in the workplace. If I'm a supervisor, a manager, or a leader, um, I have to, not, not that we, I want, I'm advocating to think about your employees as your children, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's, it's a, a similar idea in terms of growth. Uh, if, if you want people to grow, you got to give them space. You got to give them uh, rain to, to be able to try things and to, to experiment. And sometimes that means there's going to be pain. There's going to be failure. There's going to be uh, setbacks and you don't want any major setbacks that are going to completely derail the company. But if it's just a matter of doing a process differently than the way you would prefer doing it, or, or even, you know, taking a product line down a certain path and then getting a week in and realizing, oh, that's not going to quite work. So let's shift. Like you fall forward, fail fast, iterate and experiment on a continual basis. Then failure isn't even about failure anymore. Failure is just learning. And, and you give your people permission to do that learning. Uh, and that is true empowerment in my mind. And that's when the sky's the limit for what organizations can do. Because no matter how good you are as the boss, as the leader, as the executive, you only have so much time in the day. You only have so much mental and emotional bandwidth. There's only so much you can do. And so the bottlenecking is inevitable. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the drain on your ability to make good decisions is, is inevitable and there's no possible way you can keep it up and that you can continue to scale. Even if you're like the, mo the most genius person in the world, in the history of mankind, you will not be able to continue to work that way as you grow and scale to hundreds to thousands of employees. It's just impossible. So you, you surround yourself with good people, uh, with their expertise, lean on their expertise and then learn how to trust them. And that, that is really hard. It's can very hard. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of, perhaps two steps forward, one step back? You know, I don't know how it went for you, but uh, tell us a little bit about how you started to create that trust with your team. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital 
exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. I want to go back to one thing you said first, if you don't mind, um, which is when someone makes a mistake, you set a goal or you set a finish line and they take their own path and a mistake happens. And, you know, it's not ideal. If it's a huge mistake, then that's your fault anyway, because you didn't set the right parameters. You didn't give them enough information. You didn't check in frequently enough. Right. So at that point, you still can't blame that person because they didn't have enough information or you, you know, you still have to check in with people. Right. So, so there's, there's an element of ownership, but as well as letting go. It's, it's a kind of a balance there. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat your, your other? Yeah. And I, and I would just re reframe uh, in my mind, I would reframe what you just said as mutual accountability and trust, right? right? Like it's, it's not me only having ownership and accountability. It's not just, I I've now delegated to them. So now they have all the responsibility. No, it's mutual accountability. You have to create a dynamic of mutual trust, uh, that goes both ways. That's reciprocal. And that is when you can start to have that dynamic. So the question I posed was, I'm, I'm sure you had challenges in creating that mutual accountability and trust and, and developing trust with people when you're, when you're used to a pattern of behavior where everything goes through you and you have tight control over everything. And now you're trying to give back control uh, and decision-making autonomy to people that can be really hard. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah. And again, it was really a conscious effort. And I, I became a bit of a broken record with this phrase where I would frequently have um, situations where let's say a sales rep uh, would come to me with a question and I have a sales manager. I had a sales manager that worked for us. So I would need to tell the sales rep, I can't answer that. You got to talk to the sales manager. If a warehouse person came to me with a question, I'd have to say, I can't answer that. You got to talk to the operations manager. So it was like, I literally, in the last two years I was doing that, I was just a broken record with that phrase because I realized uh, what, what would end up happening when I would answer those questions is I would say something different uh, than the operations manager, not on purpose. And maybe it's just a little bit different, but it might subvert what they had told the employee. So now I'm, I'm, I'm subverting them. Um, the employees don't know what to do. They're doing what I thought was right, but I don't have all the information. The operations manager has all the information, right? I don't know everything he does on a day-to-day -day basis and all his plans. So I can't answer that question correctly. Uh, but early on, I was still answering them. So that is one of the things that for me as, you know, it's a smaller business, it wasn't enterprise level, but um, that was something that really made a big difference. And, you know, it was annoying for some of those uh, employees that were trying to ask me the questions because like, you're right here, the sales managers, I got to call him later. Like, but I was like, oh, well, then you got to wait, you know? Yeah. Um, and it can feel really good to be the guy that everyone goes to for answers. <laughs> you know, that, that. That's a nice ego stroke, right? Um, but when, like you said, it, it, it wears on you because it's yeah. constant and you just don't know everything. Like it's no. impossible as you grow to know everything that's happening in all the different areas of the business. And if, I mean, if you do, then you're way too into the weeds and you're way into everyone else's business and they're going to feel so micromanaged. <laughs> yeah. And then you're working in the business now. You're not working on the business, right? Like your job is the manager or, or, or the owner, CEO, whatever, is to be thinking probably a little bit more down the road than what's happening today. Um, and if you're answering questions about what's happening today, then you're only thinking about what's happening today anyway, right? 
um, or what's happening tomorrow. You need to be thinking about what's happening next month, next year, what have you. So um, yeah, when it's five employees, you can answer all the questions. When it's 40 employees, you know, then you're just answering questions all day and you're not actually working, you know? Yeah, well, and note that we're not talking about a huge jump even at that point, right? Five or 10 employees up to 40. I mean, that's a good sizable jump, but we're still not talking hundreds or thousands of employees. So it's still a relatively small business. And the number of executives uh, and CEOs that run small businesses of 50 or less that still pretty much have everything running through them is an insane percentage. Like it happens most of the time. Um, not and, and again, it's not bad intention. It's just people not knowing any different, not knowing how. And so literally then what you have is people just running around all day, putting out fires, running around like chickens with their head cut off. And there's zero time for the long-term strategy and all of that other stuff that you just mentioned. And you get a lot of these meetings where there's really no resolution, right? Because the decision maker, everyone's waiting to look for someone to make the decision and no one's making it, right? So you end up with a lot of these dead-end meetings where you're, you know, you just think, okay, well, what was the point of this, right? Yeah, we discussed everything around it, but we didn't make a decision and, and move on to the next thing. So now we got to meet again about it, right? Um, yeah. So you end up with a lot of these things or you end up with um, decision by committee, which uh, I'm not one that really believes in that. I mean, of course, as a leader, you have to take input from all of your uh, people that report up to you and, and you know, everybody in the cut, you got to take input, but in my mind, someone ultimately has to make the decision and some input gets disregarded and some gets absorbed, right? Uh, that's just kind of the way it needs to happen in, in my view. Um, decision by committee usually just means, you know, a watered down decision, you know? So that that's kind of one other, um, you know, one other aspect of it that maybe it's not talked about as much. Um, and maybe, you know, that's my opinion. I'm sure there's other people that believe in that, but. Well, I mean, the, the, the reality is there are different models and they're, they're not necessarily right or wrong, but they just have different processes, different outcomes and different time frames for how you carry them out. And so, yeah, and that's fine that in your business, you decide this, this is not how we're going to do it. But either way, regardless of the model for, you know, coming towards decisions that you adopt, you have to find a way to get input and generate buy-in among your people. And so for some people, for some organizations, that's, you know, decision by committee or more of a consensus model. Um, it doesn't have to be a decision by committee or consensus though. It, it could totally be like you were just describing, as long as you're proactive about getting input and helping people recognize how their input is influencing the decision that you make. Right. right. So and that all those people, they don't, they're focused on their input and they don't have the view of all the other inputs. So as the manager, you kind of have to go collate those and say, okay, what, based on what I know that these people don't know, what can we take and what can't, can't we? Right. Um, but like the, one of my favorite books is called um, leadership and strategy, a field manual, I believe it's called by mm -hmm. uh, Jocko Willink. Um, and he talks about this buy-in thing a lot, right. Where you're, you're, you have a path that you need to go down. It's, you need to get the input and include the input from your subordinates to, to make sure that they get buy-in. And, and you know, a lot of it has to be their ideas, but someone needs to collate those ideas, right? And as the manager, uh, or as whoever the decision maker is, if you're not the manager, you're, whatever it is, you're, you're getting input, but ultimately someone's making the decision and someone has to own that decision, right? So yes, you need to get that input and you need to include it, uh, but you need to collate it. and. Um, and, you know, that's, that's seems to work when getting buy-in. When I would just, earlier on, when I would just go, here's what we're going to do, 
you know, to your point before, people may do it, but they're not in love with it. It's not their idea. Um, they're not enthusiastic about it. Yep. You need to take it and say, okay, from, from your, all you guys, here's what we have. Here's what I think the best path is using all this stuff. Let's, you know, make it happen. Yeah. And not falling into the trap of analysis paralysis, as you've alluded to, that's, that's really important. That's another really common problem uh, that, that many leaders get trapped in. Something else that I wanted to just highlight, and hopefully it's kind of implicit in what we've been saying, but everything we've been referring to has been kind of in the context of your business and how you, you started this business and you were growing it and you had to learn to let go and to trust and to empower. Uh, but the same principles apply. So even once you start to grow and scale, now you go from 40 to 200. Now you have an executive team, right? And they all have their areas and they all have their teams and their people. It's the same thing for them and the people below them. Like every rung of the leadership chain in the organization has to learn to do this because they're running around like chickens with your heads cut off, putting out fires all day kind of mentality of leadership is pervasive in many, if not most organizations. Um, and it's not just the executive level or the CEO that has to con that has to maintain some sort of a strategic long-term perspective. Like it, anyone who's leading has to do that at least to some extent. And so they have to learn how to do this as well. They have to learn how to empower and to, to trust and to let go and, to, and all of those things. And that can really be a hard thing, just like it was for you. It's going to be a hard thing for them. So that's why one of the reasons why, you know, executive leadership development programs are a thing, why it's just important to foster a culture of lifelong learning with your people so that they do pick up books and listen to podcasts and do different things just so they can continue to learn and understand perhaps a new way of thinking about things, especially if they don't come from a background where they were specifically educated and trained to be in a leadership role. And frankly, most leaders don't come from that background. Yeah. And that was actually probably the last year, uh, my last year in that business was actually one of my most satisfying years because I started to um, roll those things down the, the line where, okay, the person, I wasn't the only one doing it. I was encouraging, you know, the people that reported me to do it with the people that reported to them and, and down the line. And I got to watch a few people really grow uh, as professionals and, and as leaders uh, over that, the course of that year. And it was difficult, um, certainly for me and, and for them uh, at first, right? It's a little bit awkward when you start kind of implementing some of these things when you haven't been doing it um, previously, but it's extremely rewarding. Um, and, you know, the other thing I want to talk about is like, I'm saying all this stuff, but it doesn't mean I did it right every single time, even just two weeks ago, right? Like this is a constant thing where you're, you're adapting, you're, you're, analyzing a decision that you made or a way you said something and you maybe two weeks later realize or a day later or an hour later realize like, oh, I should have said that differently. You know, um, nobody's perfect with this stuff. And it's, it's such like a, a transition, but sometimes you read these books and you, you get kind of um, disappointed because you're like, oh, I'm not doing all the things that the, this book says I should, I need to do every time. Right. But, but if you're doing it one out of 10 times now versus zero out of 10 times before, I mean, that's an improvement. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's little steps and, um, don't get discouraged if, you know, for people that are trying to make a change, um, if it's not going exactly perfectly the first time and every time it's, it's a, yeah. it's a learning process and a continual development. Yeah. Well said. Well, Sean, I'm noting the time I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, McCall of Sean, uh, or you can email me, Sean at Huey.io. That's S-E-A-N at uh, H-U-E-Y.io. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if they want to find out more, just feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to talk with anyone or meet uh, virtually or even in person at this time. So uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, again, in terms of um, empowering your people, I mean, everybody wins. You'll feel better. Your people will feel better. It's, it's really a, a win all around. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thank you, Sean. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Sean and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer than indigo leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. 
I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.